The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Which has nothing insulting in it. It's, it's, as we talked about, it's just kind of addressing in the authority structure. She is weaker in authority. She's probably weaker physically, and etc. Nothing insulting there, just... It's a statement that says, recognizing that the husband has to bestow honor rather than overlook or take advantage of. Honor her because she's a woman. And for a second reason, as is often going to be the case, because she is a Christian with you. Along with you, just right beside you, she is an heir of God's inheritance, just like you. She's his beloved daughter. And he has his protective eye on her. Which brought us to the last point, a warning, which is also an encouragement and is similar to our passage today in that sense. So the warning part is, very end says, and God won't listen to the Christian husband who isn't living with his wife in this way. The, the husband who's like tries to skip all that and then commune with God and enjoy God's blessing will find silence. So there's a warning there, but the encouragement part of that is that, on the other hand, the one who does pursue this and says help will find God hearing and seeing and drawing near to bless and give strength to walk in the way that he commands. And that's pretty similar to something we're going to see in our passage today. We leave these, these verses in these particular sections about particular contexts and move into verses 8 to 12 of chapter 3, and we find something far more general the general call of God on all of our lives, always, in every situation. Big picture now. What we're going to notice is there's a lot of similarities here. Not just to verse 7, but in many of the things that we saw in the specific situations, there are similar phrases and similar ideas in, in the general sense now. We're going to carry ourselves in, in similar ways. Not, not submissive, we're leaving the context of, the, of these authority structures, but the way that we carry ourselves is very similar as we see God call us all, always, in every situation, to live a life of love. With other Christians, where we'll start today, and with everyone else in the world too, even those who are our enemies. God calls us to live a life of love with them too. That's the command we're going to see, and then we're going to end on, a, on a, a piece that I think is intriguing and maybe even powerful in the way God means to help us follow his commands. So that's where we're going this morning. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12 and then draw out three observations from them. 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
1 Peter 3. So three observations. Here's the first. God calls his people to live with one another in love first. God calls his people to live with one another in love first. This comes from verse 8, which begins, finally, all of you. here. He's talking to all Christians in general. And the rest of the verse tells us how we are to be with each other. Now, some of these attitudes here, of course, would apply to other people as well. But in the fullest sense, they can only be true of those who are of a common faith. So this is the atmosphere of the church and of each one of us in the church, being individuals in a corporate setting, attitudes in us. And the biggest tip-off that he's talking to Christians about Christians is the middle phrase. There are five phrases here, and the middle one, brotherly love, Love of brothers, Christians, brothers and sisters. That's, that's right in the middle here because that's the key term. And, and these, these five all together kind of give us a picture of what that kind of love of the brothers would look like, how it would feel. So as, as we walk through this, let me encourage you and invite you really, please engage with this as more than just an intellectual exercise. Because it would be pretty dull if that's all we did. This, these, these five terms, I'm going to say a few things about them, kind of like try to flesh them out a little bit. But probably at the end of it, you're going to say, that's kind of what I thought that phrase meant. And if that's all it is, you're going to kind of feel like, I didn't really learn anything there, so let's move on. Don't, don't engage with it just intellectually. This, this is familiar to us, but let it come to you. I understand this. Is this me? Because this is what God calls each one of us to be with us. It's not theoretically what the Christian life is like. It's you. What God wants you to be like. So so engage with it. I, I get that. I understand it. Is it me? And if it's me, and then if it's us, what's going to happen here is that this place, these people here, is going to be something sweet, something delightful. It's going to have an atmosphere in it that's going to be very different. You can find this sort of thing in individuals in the world, but you can't find a group of people who are all different and unrelated and are like this. There's something in this that would be a testimony, something different there. What is that? So, is this you? to build up us like this. We are to have the unity of mind, that is the first phrase there, like-minded. Which doesn't mean we're identical. In fact, that's, that's the point, we're not. We have different ideas about different things, but we are united around a truth, something that is in the mind that we understand and believe. And in this context, obviously he's talking about the gospel of God's grace. The truth, with capital T. He's already written that for us in the first couple chapters of this, of this letter. He taught us that. That's what is to be on our minds. We are to be united around those doctrines, like-minded about the faith, God's gospel. That's the challenge to us here right out of the gate. That's really where it all starts. To fight to see ourselves as on this same gospel team, even though we may be and are on other things different. We may vote for different parties. 
we may be even competitors in the work environment. You may, you may think one thing about you know, various COVID protocols and I may think another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a thousand things we might all be different about, but the call here right out of the gate is we have to keep first things way first and second things distant seconds. And there's a host, all of life is the second things, such that... When we keep the gospel first, as, as conversation between us gets more and more serious, more and more engaged, more and more important, we find ourselves more and more on the same page. Not different. As we go deeper, we find we are on the same team. We're united around the most important things. The secondary stuff kind of fades away by comparison. That's what he's calling us to, first off, united in our minds about the gospel that we believe. United in mind and then engaging sympathetically with sympathy. A word that literally means feeling with. So you let yourself feel with each other. To feel the, the pains and the fears of, of a brother or sister here. You try to see things from their point and connect with them such that when they weep, we also weep, not just acknowledge. That would make a person weep if they cared. We care. And so we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Both our emotions are going to be all over the place, but the key word there is rejoice with, weep with, to be with. We're striving for, fighting for some sort of a connection that I understand you and I'm, and I'm with you and I'm, I'm united with you at not just the head level but the heart level such that what affects you actually does affect me. I care. I'm concerned. That's a critical piece of loving the brothers and the sisters. The central term. Wanting to do them good and even wanting to give of myself to see them prosper, to see them thrive, to see them helped, filled with hope, whatever is necessary. To engage with them in love with a tender heart that is not a hard heart. Another way you could put that is a compassionate heart. So there's, there's no allowance here for we understand the same things. I'm aligned with you, but in some other ways, I'm also resentful towards you or bitter. I've got some sort of a grievance that I've noted and held onto, a grudge. There's a heart that's tender and compassionate and open and, and laid down in front of the other. That always believes that other person meant best. Love hopes, love believes the best about the other. Love, love approaches vulnerable towards the other. Even when confronting sin and error, as sometimes we must, it does so tenderly and carefully with the heart of love. Full of humility. <laughs> the last phrase there, humility, not pride. A lot of these words kind of paint the same picture, don't they? You, you kind of see all that together, and there's something there that is, I'm, I'm open, I'm engaged with, 
I don't know everything about everything, and I, and I know that. We hold to the central truths, but then I don't stand up and try to put myself over, but come down low to love with a tender heart. That's love. And as I said, that's hardly revolutionary. You've heard all those terms. You understand them. The question is, is it you with this people? Is it? That's what we're called to. That's what Christ is like towards this people. That's what Christ is like towards you. Always, right now and into eternity, that's him. This is the atmosphere of heaven, which is why he wants it to be the atmosphere of heaven on earth, the church. To give us a foretaste of that and to, and to, to broadcast to those around watching, this is what it's like to know me. All these people here that we, that we sit next to and, and rub shoulders with and interact with, they are co-heirs with us. The grace of life. Loved by God in eternity past to approach them humbly with a tender heart to lay down his life for them, to do them good. That's his attitude towards the person sitting next to you. That's to be ours as well. And that includes not just the strangers in the church, but the intimate people who live in your house. Sometimes, oddly, we live at a lower attention level to these sorts of things with those who are right next to us in our houses, in our marriages, in our families, with kids and parents. We are to have minds and hearts that are like these minds and hearts, loving the brothers and the sisters. Now, as I, I say that and I push on a little bit, let me say that I don't mean this to be any kind of a, any kind of a chastisement of this church body. I, I think in a lot of ways, God has done something sweet here and Yesterday at the women's retreat, somebody said something like this, that there's, there's just an atmosphere here right now, praise God, that is sweet and good. And so we should read something like this and think, thank you, Lord, and strive to excel still more at it. But maybe, even in that, it, that the big picture, sweet, thank you, Lord, but maybe there's something for you. Is that you? Is there something you need to lay aside or turn from in regards to somebody else here? If so, repent and turn to him. We're called first to love the people of God. But not only the people of God, which leads us to the second observation. God calls his people to love others in the world, even our enemies, too. God calls us to love others in the world, even our enemies, too. And I'm using the word enemy here, just to clarify, not because we regard them as enemies, 
You know, we hate them, we dislike them, but because there are always people on the other side who have decided that they want to oppose God's people and, and hurt them in some ways. They've made themselves enemies. It's a word commonly used in the Bible. They, they do evil, they revile, as this language says. Something Peter's audience was surely facing in the Roman Empire, something that the psalmist in Psalm 34, which is quoted here at the end, he was facing, David was facing that, we may face it in particular situations. Those who attack and revile God's people. And if he's calling us towards this kind of love, towards even them, then surely this applies to everybody else in the world who's just not a believer. Not really an enemy, but not a believer. So this is, this is about enemies, even enemies, but everybody else. And what he's laying out here is what we could call the life of love. Verse 9, then, when evil comes, when reviling comes, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Very similar to what we already heard about Jesus up above in 21, 2, 3, chapter 2. Jesus there, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. That's what he did, but instead turned the other cheek. And that's also the call on us. This is the model of non-retaliation, non-vengeance. So human, when we're struck at, to strike back, try to get even. And Jesus says, no, that's not him. That's not us. Not because Jesus thinks or we are to think that evil is, is going to get its day and be allowed to stand. No, but remember where that ended up above with Jesus. Mindful of the fact that we say no, we turn the other cheek, and like him also entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. This is where Jesus' model ended for us. That's to be our model as well. We already talked about that. We can turn away from retaliation by saying there is one, God the judge, who will settle this and settle it rightly. And so we are to know that and remember it as we turn the other cheek. But there's actually something a little more here in this. The picture up above in 22 and 23 was of Jesus, if you will, kind of like the lamb silent led to slaughter, reviled but not reviling, cursed but not cursing. Being silent. Well, here we're told to respond. Not just do nothing, not just take it and move on. Here we are told to send something back, but not evil. The verse continues, on the contrary, though, bless. So we receive an evil, and we don't just turn the other cheek and say nothing. We receive an evil, and we fire back blessing. We love. Now, tactically, of course, in some situation, it, it may be wise to ignore an insult. It may be wise to walk away. Sometimes the, the appropriate response to a snake in the grass is to leave. Just step away. It's not saying never do that. What he's speaking against is the retaliation and saying actually what love is is to seek to do good to the other. 
So we may, we may in tactical situations, find that what wisdom here is to, to do good would be to avoid a conflict. Or to do good would be to call the police, chapter 2, verse 14, who are there to punish evil. That, that may be the right response. But he's, he's working on a principle here that we don't retaliate with evil in face of evil. We retaliate with good. We seek to give and to bless. This is what he's saying. This is what Jesus himself said, if you think of the Sermon on the Mount. When, when somebody comes at you, you don't just take the strike on the cheek and turn it away. He comes at you and you demanded a cloak, you give it and give him another one. He comes at you and demands that you go a mile with him. Probably picturing somebody walking, carrying a good for somebody else, carrying some burden for somebody else. He demands that you go a mile with him. Okay, go, go a mile and then go a second mile too. That's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Do good to the enemy who, who needs something and takes it from you. Yep, receive that and then bless. That is so not normal that as, as I say it, or as we read it, what happens, notice this, what happens in your mind is that instantly a bunch of questions popped your mind about the qualifications. Like how and when and how far and really and because you know that's untenable. That's, that's going to be a problem. That's, that's hard. That's the whole point. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, that's going to make, make, make us vulnerable. Yeah, that's going to stretch us. Yes, that, that's the whole point. Because when that happens then, everybody else in the world says, where does that come from? That's not normal. You say, Exactly. That's not human. That comes from somewhere else. And you can give them the reason for the hope that's in you. This is the whole point, that this is a stretching and hard and challenging thing. At the level of principle, we receive evil and we seek to give back good, which is exactly the point of the Psalm 34 quote. Same thing. David, the psalm, was facing trouble. What does he do? He does not return evil for evil, but he keeps his tongue from evil and, and keeps his lips from speaking deceit. Turns away from evil to do good, to seek peace and pursue it. He can't make peace certain, but he can seek it and pursue it. That's the point. When faced with an attack, what we do is we don't just avoid it. We don't, we don't amp it up, we say, how can I do good? How can I be a peacemaker here with this enemy coming at me? Not to win, not to establish my own agenda, but to make peace, to do good to the other, to love. That's the kind of people that we're called to be, and that's very different from how the world works. But that's the way laid out for us by Christ. Is that not exactly how he was with us? This is not just Peter's teaching and Jesus' teaching and David's teaching. It's Jesus' modeled life. And it's what saved us. That he would be someone who would come and when faced with cursing and reviling from us said, I will seek to do you good and make peace with you. And he accomplished it.
That's what he did. That's what we're called to. And there's something in that that testifies to some other hope, to some other way, to some other kingdom that's come when you meet people that do you good even when you don't to them. That's straight up hard. This is like, this, this operates at the level of the theoretical, and, and it's probably familiar to us. We talk about a lot of passages like this. It comes up often. But if you drop it down to the level of that person right there that I know at my workplace or my ex-spouse or somebody, somebody real that you know, That's hard. How do you love that person? It, it maybe you, you, can t- you can draw a step back from that and say, how do I survive in the face of this person? There, this person is constantly coming at me, and it is, it is very frustrating and exhausting trying to navigate the game. We don't often in this country face straight-up persecution to the point of physical harm. We often face the game, the maneuvering, the slandering, the, the controlling of situation to kind of like shape your life like this and you got to like figure out how to respond to that. That's exhausting and frustrating, a little bit frightening if you don't know what the next couple steps are going to be. And not at the theoretical level, but that guy or gal right there that's coming at you, what do you do there? I look around the room, and I, I know some of your stories, and I know what the games are. I mean, I know some of these things for you. A lot of you I don't, but it's there. What do you do? God's call on you, immense as it is, is not just change the channel and skip it. His call on you is bless. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Tactically, that's confusing and exhausting. But at the level of the heart, it is very challenging because what rises up in us is a combination of anger, frustration, and fear, and exhaustion. I don't know that I can do that, Lord. How do I love that enemy? That gets us to the third point. which again, I think is at least intriguing and maybe powerful. Part of the challenge, if, if you look at the call to love other Christians and the call to love everybody else in the world, the call to live a life of love, part of the challenge in that is I actually do live a life of love. By nature, I live a life of love of me by nature. And you're not telling me to do something completely different, just reverse. That's hard. That's part of the challenge there is that I'm constantly bumping into a sense of I'm oriented around me. 
Well, what's interesting about this, what's intriguing, I think, is that you are that way because God made you that way. And it's actually not wrong. He made you in a way oriented around pursuing what's good for you. And he made you that way because what he's going to do is he's going to lay out, here's what's good for you. Let me, let me make you a certain way and then appeal to it. I'm going I'm to bait you, if you will. I'm going to put in there something that says, that resonates, that, that connects. I made you to be, to be thinking about what's good for me. And I'm going to say, here it is. The verse says, on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. End of verse 9. Because that's the righteous thing to do. That's not what it says. Because to this you were called, because that's like Jesus is. And you'll model Jesus in the world and be a witness to others. Well, that's true also, but that's also not what it says. You see what he's doing? I mean, you see what it says. This is, this is the, the, that you may obtain a blessing. For whom? For you. To this you were called. Love the brethren, love your enemies, which means love everybody. That's what I call you to, and that is right, and that is what I'm like, and that will be witness to the world. But what I'm saying here right now is that's how you obtain a blessing. You for you. That's interesting. Because in some ways that feels like, maybe that feels a little bit unchristian to us. Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be about sacrifice and laying down our lives. It is. That's the whole thing. Lay down your life. And the one who gives up his life, what did you say? You'll find it. Blessing. I'm telling you how to find life. I made you to be thinking about you, in a way. And what I'm telling you is the way you bless you is by giving your life away to me and my kingdom and my causes and these people that I'm after. And you find your life then. You find blessing. That is intriguing. That is thoroughly, repeatedly biblical. This is a call to see. There's there's the commandment to me, and I see what's underneath of it is, is a promise of blessing. A promise of blessing. And then what he calls you always to do with a promise of blessing is to believe it and walk in faith. Trusting God's laid out promise will happen. It will come to me as blessing. This is, if you put other words on it, what we see here is a prime example of living the life of faith. Walking by faith, hoping in God. All these phrases that pop up repeatedly, that, this is a prime example of that. To live by faith in what God has promised, 
not by faith in what God has already done, what he's promised he will do, you will find blessing. The life of faith, in other words, is forward-looking. We trust that God will bring blessing. At the moment, there's a lot of evil and reviling coming our way. But by faith, I believe he will bless. The life of faith. So, that's the point made here by Peter at the end of verse 9. It's also the point, it's the reason that Peter pulls up the quote from the psalm. Do you want, a, you want a good life? Do you love life and want to see good days? That's where he begins. He's appealing to you. Do you love life and want to see good days? And our instinctive response is, yes, that's why I am having nothing to do with any of these evil people. No, 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 no. Do you love life? Do you want to see good days? That doesn't come with getting rid of the evil people. That comes actually with doing good to them and seeking peace with them. How can that possibly be? Not because you will change them to be non-evil people. The hope here is not that, ah, okay, I, I, I see it. I get, I get this blessing by I do good to them and they get one over and then they be nice to me. No, that's not what he says. They will still be this. They will always still be this. The way that the blessing comes is verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But his face is against those who do evil. They keep doing evil. The blessing comes because as I walk with God, as I, as I pursue doing good to these people, as I pursue laying down my life for them and loving them to bless them and try to pursue peace with them, the blessing is that God's eyes are on me, that God's ears are open to my prayers. My prayers are not hindered, but they are heard. Same point made in verse 7. My prayers are not hindered, but they are heard. And God will draw near and commune with me. God will himself draw near to me. Not just give me stuff, but he will come near. And I will be with him, and I will receive everything that I need. Sure, yeah. But I will be with him in the middle of all this trouble. His eyes on me and his ears open to me. That's the blessing that God promises to give to us. The presence of himself. Now and forever. This is what he has always taught to us. It's the point that Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you, for great is your reward in heaven. He made several statements along those lines. His ears are open to your prayers now, and great is your reward in heaven. God says, when people come at you, live a life of love and bless them because it's the righteous thing to do, because it's like me, because it's a witness, and because it is in your great best interest. Now I commune with you. I hear your prayers and I bless, and great is your reward in heaven. That's at least intriguing and maybe powerful. 
So I say this very carefully. There are, there are a lot of ways this phrase could be used really wrongly, but I say it carefully to make you think. Sometimes the problem with our struggle to love enemies is that we don't actually love ourselves enough. Now, that could be way wrong in different contexts if you take it out of this particular context, right? But do you hear it in this context? Sometimes our problem, sometimes why it's difficult to love our enemies or other Christians is that we don't love ourselves enough. Meaning what? That I'm not chasing hard after the blessing and the presence of God in my life enough by giving my life away to them enough. I think I'm going to get my life by keeping it. And he says, no, 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 you get your life by giving it away. That's why this is so intriguing and maybe really different and powerful for you. So if that's sending you for some theological loops and you're thinking like, did the pastor just go off the deep end and tell us all to be self-lovers? Then maybe we need to dialogue about that a little bit. But I'm trying to make this clear in a couple different ways because for some people, this is really different. And probably even for those of us who know this, it probably grows stale on you and you haven't chased after the blessing of God enough by giving your life away. This is the teaching of God. What do we have to do with that? Trust him and live it. Live by faith. You can fail immediately by not doing either of those two things, just saying, like, I get it. Okay, I see how that works. He's called me to this that I might receive a blessing. And, and when I walk in that, his ears would be open to my prayers and his eyes would be on me and what would happen is a good life and good days. I get that is interesting. That makes sense to me. And then miss it by not trusting it and living This, this is put out here so that we actually will lay down our lives in love for others. Believing, I will receive from God his smile and his presence and his hand and his eternal reward. I will, I trust that. And so here's my life, I give it. We have to do that, we have to live trusting not just intellectually understanding it. So, Christian, here it all comes down to the end. Where do you have to say, if you don't get it yet, then we need to talk more about that. But where do you have to say, I get it. And I will now, Lord, trust you and live. I will believe your blessing cannot be outrun, but will catch me, and I give my life away. What does that mean for you? And in this context, probably with some other person or people who are a little bit complicated for you, a little bit challenging for you. Maybe even, don't, don't skip the most obvious one, maybe even right in your own house. 
I trust you, Lord. And so what feels hard is to give my life away to this other one, maybe this other woman or man who lives right here with me. To do verses one to seven, maybe that's the first challenge for you. But maybe not. Maybe somebody else. Where is his call to love? I need to love this other brother or sister, this other co-worker, this other person who is really difficult, this other person who hates me and is coming at me. What do you need to do to bless that person and seek peace with him or her? That you can and will do if you believe. And on the other side of that is the hand and the ear and the eye of God for me. For me. So I'm safe and secure. What is that for you? Mentally write it down. God calls us to live a life of love by faith. Trusting, hoping in the fact that his blessing will come to us and we will find the good life, good days with him even in the midst of evil. That is tremendously helpful for me. May God work it into your life. Let's pray. Father, will you help us to think carefully about this, particularly the last point? You give each of us here a slightly deeper trust of you than we had a few minutes ago. When you put into our hands here in a moment, Lord, this cup and this piece of bread, Will you speak to us about your provision of the bread of life that we need? Will you speak to us about the sacrifice that made covenant and of our certain security in your hand? Press that home to us, Lord, and make yourself seem all the more trustworthy. And then give us faith to walk in that trust. You have done something sweet here, and I'm thankful, Father. There is, there is an atmosphere that is, that is a bit of a taste of heaven here, and I'm thankful for that. Will you cause it to flourish still more, and will you make us winsome to those around us in the world? Give us a sense of your presence. Help us, Lord, we pray. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.